Hello, and welcome to this Solus Church podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We pray that God speaks to you today through this message. For more sermon content and information, visit solaschurch.com. Scripture reading this morning coming from Acts chapter 19, verses 1 down through 7. I'm reading out of the New King James Version. It says this, it says, And it happened, while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is on Jesus Christ. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. And they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about 12 in all. This is the word of God for the people of God to which we say, thanks be to God. You may be seated. Father, thank you this morning for the gift of your word. Thank you, God, that uh, thank you, God, that we're not left to just decide for what is true on our own, certainly about the essentials. And so it's my desire this morning not to propagate conjecture, not to communicate my opinion, but God, I'm only here right now with a microphone to my mouth to proclaim your word. And I know that I need your spirit to do that. So Holy Spirit, you're our teacher. Teach us today, I pray, even in your mercy and grace, teach through me that we might have ears to hear what you want to say to us. We pray these things together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, a pretty unique passage of Scripture here. Uh, something unusual to the journey of Paul, who at this point in his life, the Apostle Paul, who was the pioneer of the Christian faith, he was so significant that Kanye West even named an album after him. Okay, uh, the, We don't have to get into that. The Apostle Paul... The Apostle Paul finds himself in Ephesus, and he comes across a unique case of Christianity. These are disciples. These are, he claims, to be believers. They believe. Now, they weren't baptized into Jesus yet, water baptism, proclaiming their faith in Jesus. But as believers in Christ, as Paul comes across these believers, he encounters some Christians, listen, who do not even know that the Holy Spirit is a thing, or is a person, or exists. He says, have you received the Spirit, that's it in verse 2, when you believe, and they go, we haven't even heard of him. Heard, have you ever had that happen, where someone's like mentioning a friend, or an actor, or a celebrity, and you're like, no, I've never even heard of him, no, and they look at you like you should know, right? I think the Apostle Paul kind of has that look in his face. The Holy Spirit to the Apostle Paul's life and ministry in the early church, it was so central to Christianity that this must have baffled Paul. It's like going to Disney and coming back and someone saying, well, how did you get to see Mickey? And you say, I have not even heard whether there is a Mickey, okay? (laughs) Of course, central to the religion of Disney is Mickey. Central to... A relationship with Jesus is the Holy Spirit. 
Now, even though today we may not be exactly like these men in Ephesus who know nothing about the Spirit, I want to submit this idea today. I believe that the Holy Spirit may be the most misunderstood, ignored, and avoided person in all of Christianity. And let me just stop for a second and sympathize to say that in a lot of ways I understand why. We're going to talk in a second about the fact that he is such a mystery. But let's be honest, how many of us have seen some really weird things done or things said in the name of the Holy Spirit? Anybody in here? Just me? Two, three, four. The hands are going up. We're doing the wave. All right, we all agree. We all agree. There's been no shortage of abuses in the name of this mystery, the Holy Spirit, so that today, for many of us, let's be real, for many of us, we dig the Father. A heaven dad? I'm in. And for most of us, we are down with the Son. I mean, forgiveness of sins. I mean, look at the way Jesus navigates life and he treats those in culture who often get ostracized and rejected. I sign up to be a follower of Jesus. I am, I am down with the Son. I dig the Father, but for the most part, we are distant from the Spirit. It's almost like we don't know what to do with him. He's kind of like an urban legend, right? Like everyone, you know, talks about him, but have you really seen Bigfoot? Have you really seen, does he really, is he really there? And for most of us, even when we think about him in regards to God, we think of him as, you know, we talk about the third person of the Trinity, but for a lot of us, the Holy Spirit is more like the third wheel of the Trinity. The Father is relationship with the Son, and there the Holy Spirit is just kind of hanging out like, hey, can I... Can I be in this too? I'm in the Trinity. I've seen the doctrinal statement. That's how a lot of us think about, and if we were honest, relate to him. I think if we start to really look at the Trinities that we've developed in the modern church, it would sound something like this. It's the Trinity of first the Father, Son, and Holy Bible. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm going to talk about how much the Holy Spirit and the Word of God work in perfect symbiotic fashion. But the purpose of the Word of God is to lead us to the God of the Word. And God has inspired his word to move in our lives by his spirit. So for a lot of us today, we don't have a relationship with the spirit. We have a relationship with what we know about him from the Bible. Or how about the Father, Son, Holy Gospel? These are all huge, important things. Don't get me wrong, but distinct from the spirit. Today, I see this a lot kind of in the reform circles. um, And I kind of like... I kind of go around to every circle. That's my problem. Like, people have said to me, like, what is Soulless Church, Andrew? What are you? And I say, like, you know, I'm, I'm like too Calvary to be a Presbyterian, but I'm too Presbyterian to be a Calvary. It's kind of a problem I have. I'm a, I'm a Baptocostal um, or a Pentabaptist. I'm kind of this mix of a lot of things. I have a high value for the Word of God and a high value for the Spirit of God. Um, but what I've noticed in some of those hyper-reformed circles is because we don't know the Holy Spirit and we don't, because of that, we don't speak about him. When you're in relationship with someone deeply and intimately, you talk about them. But for a lot of people in those circles, the word Holy Spirit is often replaced with gospel. Now, don't get me wrong. The gospel transforms. The gospel informs and transforms. We studied this last Thursday. The gospel has the, is the power of God into salvation, but it's the person of the spirit through which God works. Or what about this last one? Father, Son, and Holy Duty. I think if um, we were to really examine most of our lives, this is where a lot of us would honestly be camped out. A God in heaven who's my father, a savior who I'm thankful for, 
and now just an, an obligation to be a good person, an obligation to stop sinning, an obligation to come to church, an obligation to be a good dad, to be a good mom, to be a good husband, to be a good wife, father, son, holy duty, but the scriptures reveal to us a God who is so much better than all those things. He is father, he is son, and he is holy spirit. So there is no coincidence for Paul to be so awestruck by a bunch of Christians who don't know the Holy Spirit. This is so contrary, not just to the Trinity, but this is contrary also. Understand this, this kind of Christianity is contrary to Jesus' vision, who is the one that we always go back to to determine what we're doing. Not what our denomination says, not what our tradition has done. Jesus is our Savior. He's our rabbi. He's our teacher. So listen, if my form of Christianity is different than Jesus's. I don't make Jesus fit my form of Christianity. I adapt to him. He doesn't conform to my pattern. I transform to his, amen? That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I'm following you to learn from you to become less and less like me and more and more like you. So let's go to John 14. I want you to see this in John 14. I just want you to see the way that Jesus spoke about his vision for the church and for the Holy Spirit. John 14. This is such a remarkable, insightful section of scripture here in John. This is positioned here, John 14, chronologically, this is positioned at a time in Jesus' life where he is about to, he knows, go to the cross. His time on earth is short. And so John 14, 15, 16, and 17, you start to get sort of Jesus' last words with his disciples. Jesus knows that his days are numbered. He knows that his time is at hand. And so what Jesus begins to do is, frankly, what a lot of people do when they are facing certain death or on their deathbed, usually uh, someone who's passing away and they're cognitive and cognizant of it, uh, what they will often do is they'll seek to take care of those that they're leaving behind who are dependent on them. Um, I experienced this with my mother who passed away when I was about 21. I remember when my mom, she, she was still around and she was still communicating just a little bit and all my mom wanted to talk about it, it was is Andrew okay? Is Liz okay? Is Chris okay? Is Dan okay? You know, I've, I've been close to this. I've seen this. Uh, this is what, what people do because they love those that have been dependent on them. They want to make sure that their affairs are set in order. And um, Jesus is going to do the same. Um, it's an understatement to say that the disciples depended on Jesus. Under Understatement. I mean, think about their life up to this point. Everywhere they went, Jesus was the solution to every problem. Not a bad friend to have around. Okay? Right? Like, oh no, there's a storm. We're going to die. <laughs> I got you. Okay? Like, whew, all right? I, I got to pay taxes and I'm broke. Okay? Jesus is like, go fishing. It's like, I love to do that. Why? Because you're going to get paid through fishing, which is rare. Okay? And so he has them do that. They, and there's a coin in the fish's mouth. And they, Jesus, oh no, oh no. My mother, Jesus, she's on her deathbed. Peter's mother is sick. Jesus goes, oh, I got you. I mean, come on, talk about the pens. Jesus, I have these deep, perplexing questions about the kingdom of God and who God is. I don't understand him and, and life. No need to fear. Rabbi Jesus is here. So it's, a, it's, a, it's, an, 
it's an undermit statement to say that they were dependent on him. And usually, let me say this, this usually has a major um, effect on the nature of the loss of a person. It's often the proximity and the dependency on a person that makes the gravity of their disappearance or passing away even greater. Uh, the people that you miss the most are probably people that you were closest with and depended on the most. And so th- let me say, this is, this is not a laughing matter for them. This is a grieving time. Jesus has just told them, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm leaving. So I want you to see, I want you to see the way in which Jesus comforts them, knowing that he is going to be crucified. He says in verse 15 of chapter 14, if you love me, keep my commandments. Verse 16, and I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and he will be in you. I will not, look at this, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Jesus goes, here's how I'm going to comfort my disciples. I want you guys to know that though I am leaving, there's another one who's coming. He calls him the helper. The helper. You see it there in the Greek, it's the word paraclete. Paraclete. Think football, a paraclete. (laughs) All right. Jesus, that was horrible. Jesus promises, now this word paraclete, it literally means advocate. Even in a legal sense, that's some legal, someone that's going to represent you, that's, you don't have to fight, he's going to fight for you. You don't have to worry, just as I have helped you, don't worry, I'm not going to orphan you. I'm going to pray the Father and he's going to give you a helper. Now this helper is not just some random mysterious person. He goes on to say he is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. Now in scripture there are many different names for the Holy Spirit. There is the Spirit, this is just some of them. Jesus here calls him the helper, the Spirit of God, the eternal Spirit, the Spirit of truth, the spirit of grace, the spirit of Christ, the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of holiness. You get the idea? He is the spirit. And he is not just mentioned here in John. He is mentioned all throughout the scripture and even up to this point to where the Holy Spirit, that is Jesus' vision for Christianity. I'm leaving, but don't worry, he's coming. In fact, here's what's interesting. Jesus goes on in the gospel of John. And he accentuates and he even turns up the heat of how significant this is. In John 16, verse 7, look what he says. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Look at this. It is to you. He tells the disciples, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Holy cow. Jesus is saying, the Holy Spirit that is coming to be your helper, he is not just a sufficient replacement he is an upgrade think about this jesus says it's to your advantage that i leave and they must have been going no it's not but according to jesus listen to this according to jesus the spirit of god inside of you is actually better than jesus beside you Here's what's funny about that. None of us agree with that. I mean, how many of us, if we were honest right now, let's do a poll. 
How many of you right now would be willing to trade, or let's say excited to trade, your present experience with the indwelling of God's Holy Spirit up until this point in your life, you'd trade that any day with a face-to-face conversation with Jesus? Anybody? Somebody's like, no, man, I'm a signs and wonders machine. Get out of my face. I'm like, all right. I'm definitely tempted, (laughs) to say the least, to rather have Jesus beside me than his spirit inside of me. But this, listen, this, again, is where we need to adapt to Jesus. Jesus says it's to your advantage. We have no idea what God wants to do in our lives with his spirit. And and you get a glimpse of it, though, right? Because what happens is, by the way, he's not just making empty promises, You go on and you see in the book of Acts and you look throughout all of church history and this is precisely, you see precisely what Jesus promised. You see it all throughout the New Testament. You see Christianity being synonymous with this spirit-filled life. That's an advantage to even having Jesus beside you. You read verses that talk about praying in the spirit, singing in the spirit. It it sums it up in, in Galatians, it talks about walking in the spirit. Paul says, if you live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. The idea is it's the Christian life. We abound in hope by the Holy Spirit. We war in the Spirit. We live and move and have our being in the Spirit. Now, here's what's so important about this. According to Jesus and according to the Bible, the Holy Spirit, listen, is not an enhancement to our Christian life. He is the very substance of it. The Holy Spirit is not an enhancement to our Christian life. Like, you know, I'm really struggling. I just need some more Holy Spirit. What do you got going on? You've been reading your Bible. Oh, you also do the Holy Spirit. It's like a technique. All right, so I've been fasting, going to church, singing loud for all to hear. I just need the Holy Spirit. And then, you know, it's like the infinity stone of the Christian walk. I haven't got the Spirit stone yet. That's how we think of it. And to just rip on that Thanos illustration for a minute more, I think biblically, the scriptures would say the Holy Spirit is not an infinity stone, the Holy Spirit is the glove. That everything else fits into. For those of you over the age of 40, let me explain something to you, okay? (laughs) The idea here, the idea here is that to be a Christian is to live a spirit-filled life. They are not enhancements to one another. This is what, by the way, this is how Jesus lived. Jesus lived this way. We follow him. He lived a spirit-led, spirit-filled life. So here's the question we ask ourselves in light of this. Do you have a dynamic and personal relationship with the Holy Spirit of God? If according to the scriptures, if according to Jesus, this is Christianity, as you mirror yourself to God's word, what does your Christian faith look like? Do you know him? Now, I want to help us, and I want God really to help us. I've been asking him to help me um, move more into that. God is always moving us from glory to glory. Do we know this? God is a patient father. Um, He doesn't put demands and expectations over our lives that are unrealistic and going to frustrate us. God doesn't dangle a carrot before our faces and then tell us to follow him. He graciously moves us from step to step. God doesn't move us, you know, I've children five and under, one about to turn six. I don't have expectations for my three-year-old that I do for Judah, my, fi- my five-year-old. And God is the same way. Some of you, the reason why you've been so discouraged by the Spirit is because you've encountered people who are very mature in the Spirit. And you're like, I, 
that's so far from me, and sometimes we can be so discouraged by the journey of how far it's going to be that we forget it's not about the destination of being like that person. A life in the Spirit is about a day-to-day walk with the Spirit. Here is success for your spiritual life. Tomorrow, you have a deeper, more meaningful, more dependent relationship with the Holy Spirit. That's what we should hunger for. God, I just want more of you. Not too much that I can't handle. Just enough. I want just enough of your spirit. Now, here's, I think, an important part of this. Let me give a definition. As we're talking here a lot about the Holy Spirit, I think this will bring us further in our relationship with him. Uh, And actually, I want to backtrack there and say, I don't want to give a definition. I want to give an affirmation. And the reason why I'm being so semantical about that is because a few weeks ago, uh, one of our teachers at our midweek lectures, he, he gave the definition of definition. The word definition means of the finite. And the Holy Spirit is certainly not of the finite. So lest I try to limit him to a box, I'd rather give a couple things that I go, this is what the Bible says. But he's probably a lot more than I could ever ask, think, or imagine, okay? But just some affirmations that will lead us to a general understanding. You can write this down. This is really important. If, if um, all you walk away with today is a clearer understanding of what the Bible teaches about the Holy Spirit based off this biblical definition, I'm going to show you why it's biblical in a second. Um, then I would say that I feel um, like I accomplished something, okay? So the Holy Spirit, we understand him this way, with three affirmations. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, the primary agent of God's work in the world, and the promised gift of God poured out upon all of his children. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, the primary agent of God's work in the world, and the promised gift of God poured out upon all of his children. Let's take a minute to look at each of these pieces. The first thing that we said about the Spirit, the first affirmation is that we believe that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. The third person of, or you could say the Holy Trinity or the triune Godhead. And this affirmation speaks to the identity of the Spirit. Write that down, the identity of the Spirit. A great place to start with a relationship with anyone is, who are you? Who are you, right? So what a great place to start with the Holy Spirit in understanding who he is. Who is the Holy Spirit? Now, I think the first place to start is to recognize that when it comes to the person of the Holy Spirit, we are talking about a person who is a mystery. This is so significant. This is where I get kind of cringy when people have such a perfect grip on who the Holy Spirit, this is how the Holy Spirit works, like this. Only like this and like this. Only. Because when I see the Holy Spirit in Scripture, he's not able to be contained to a box. Uh, The word spirit, if you didn't know, is the Greek word pneuma, where we get pneumatology. And it simply means wind, breath, or to blow. So everybody do me a favor. Take a deep breath in and then just breathe out. Go. One more time. Another breath out. So that's the word in Hebrew. It's ruach. In the New Testament Greek, it's it's. Uh, pneuma, and it's just breath. It's wind, okay? Um, That's what the scriptures reveal about the Spirit. And it's, listen, it's giving us an understanding that the Holy Spirit is somewhat of a mystery. There's not this exact substance to him. He is, he's like wind. He's like breath. It's like when God breathed into Adam the breath of life. When Jesus, remember when he gave the Holy Spirit to his disciples, what did he do? He breathed on them. He said, receive my Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus 
gives us a little teaching on this in John 3, and he says this, that the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone born of the Spirit. It's like he must have been to South Florida or something, right? It's like, it, you don't, it's like oh, I guess, it's, I guess we're going to die from lightning <laughs> and thunderstorms and wind. Okay, put all the, you know, anything that can be projectile, it's got to go in the garage. Like, all of a sudden kind of a thing. He says it's kind of like that in a relationship with the Spirit. This bit of a mystery, this sort of uncontained power. Interesting. Um, I love the way that R.C. Sproul, who is, uh, passed away last year, was the pastor of St. Andrew's Church in Lake Mary, Florida. Uh, I, I got his book, uh, The Mystery of the Holy Spirit, checked it out from the library across the street, which is awesome. Um, but R.C. Sproul, he begins his book, The Mystery of the Holy Spirit, uh, by saying this. He says, the Holy Spirit leaves no footprints in the sand. These are the words from Adam Kuyper's classic work on the Holy Spirit. However, Jesus did leave footprints in the sand. He was God incarnate, God with a human nature. When his disciples walked with him, they could hear his voice, touch his hands, and watch the sand spilling over his feet as he trod the shores of the Sea of Galilee. But the Holy Spirit is like the wind. Jesus said, John 3, that the wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. We cannot capture the wind in a bottle, he says. Yet... Though it is elusive and mysterious, the Holy Spirit is real. The mystery of the Spirit. I, I want to point this out. Jesus says, not only is he Numa, the Spirit, but look at verse four, uh, 17. He says, you, the world neither sees him nor knows him, verse 17. But look what he says in John 14, 17. But you know him. Now this is important that Jesus teaches us this. Though the Holy Spirit is a mystery, he is not an un knowable force the knowability of the spirit that you can know him he tells his disciples you know the spirit that means we can have a relationship with the spirit and this speaks to listen the personality of the spirit now some better words for this might be personhood uh, the idea though is that the holy spirit is a person he is a person we said earlier he's the third what person of the trinity you still with me I know this is really light, airy stuff for you this morning, okay? Hope, hopefully Chipotle will balance it out later. I don't know. But he is the third person of the Trinity. Jesus affirms this not only by describing the knowability of him there, but notice what he says in verse 15. I will pray the Father. He will give you another helper. Look at this. That he may abide with you forever. You know what that is? That's a personal pronoun. Jesus doesn't say... You know, what today you have in the church, you have a lot of Star Wars pneumatology. You know, Jesus basically was like, you know, may the force be with you. I'm going to go, but don't worry, the chi is coming. The energy, the Dragon Ball Z, whatever you have in your mind, okay? You get the idea. A lot of us, listen, we even subconsciously think about the Holy Spirit this way. Here's how we know. Have you ever called the Holy Spirit it? A lot of, I hear it all the time. And often that is indicative of the fact that we don't know him as a person. It, no, he, the Holy Spirit. Now, not just subconsciously, but I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but consciously, there was a Christianity Today poll done on um, a, a pool of American Christians. And those American Christians were asked about the identity of the Holy Spirit. 51% of American Christians said that he is a force. 
7% don't know. 42% say he's not. So according to this recent poll, a large majority, we should say a majority, 51% affirmatively don't know the Holy Spirit as a person. I wonder what percentage that would look like in here, even if we just looked at our lives practically. 7% just go, I don't know. They're kind of like the, the disciples in Ephesus. I don't even know the Holy Spirit, yeah. And then you have, that's hopeful, 42%. That should be much higher, but 42% say, no, he's a person. Um, and those are, 42% of those people are people who have studied the Bible. They've seen him referred to as a person. Now, a couple other ways that we see the Holy Spirit revealed this way is he is given um, characteristics and he acts in certain ways that only a person could. Okay, contrary to, there's, there's theologies today, uh, rooted in what's called Arianism. You have Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons who don't believe that the Holy Spirit is a person. They believe that he is um, a force or an energy or an essence like uh, electricity. That's kind of how they'll think of him. But in Scripture, here's what we see about the Spirit. The Spirit has a mind, has a will, and he has emotion. Three things that I've never struggled with with my dial-up internet. I've struggled with these personally with my dial-up internet, like my mind, my will, and my emotions. But I've never had an issue with my electricity being upset with me or, or cognitively deciding not to work, okay? Or think, you know, this is how the Bible speaks about Jesus. Oh, sorry, about the Holy Spirit. Uh, he has a mind. First Corinthians 2 says that no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. He knows. Romans 8, 27 talks about the mind of the Spirit. He wills. He decides. 1 Corinthians 12, 11 says that he distributes gifts to each one as he wills. There's this great story in the book of Acts where the apostle Paul is trying to go preach the gospel in Asia. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit forbid him. That doesn't sound like a force. Okay? I've never been forbidden by an intelligent force in that way. This is a this is person. He feels. Ephesians 4.30 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve him. Uh, Acts 5, do not lie to the Holy Spirit. All right. Hey, I really want to encourage you. Lately, you've been really lying to Wi-Fi, and you need to tell Wi-Fi the truth. That's crazy. That's crazy to think of things that way. He is a person, and this is a vitally important distinction because you can't have a relationship with a concept or a force or an energy. We were made in the image of God, the Holy Spirit, to know him as a person. Charles Spurgeon, um, actually let me show you this last verse, I think this convinces us the most, Acts 15, 28, if you're not convinced that the Holy Spirit is a person after this, I don't, I, I give up, all right, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us, now first he's connecting the reason of the Holy Spirit with them as, as persons, not a human, Holy Spirit is not a human, but a person, to lay uh, upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, I love this, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit, you see the uh, personification there? Do you see the embodiment, in a sense, there of the Holy Spirit? Now, Charles Spurgeon, as always, um, he, he says what I'm kind of thinking in a way that I wish I could only think. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, we are, I know you can't read it, so if you can't, just listen. He said, we are so accustomed to talk about the influence of the Holy Spirit and his sacred operations and graces that we are apt to forget that the Holy Spirit is truly and actually a person, that he has an actual life an existence, 
or we as Trinitarians usually say, one person in the essence of the Godhead. But I'm afraid that though we don't know it, we have acquired the habit of regarding the Holy Spirit as a divine emanation flowing from the Father and the Son, but not as being an actual person himself. I know it is not easy to carry around in our mind the idea of the Holy Spirit as a person. I can think of the Father as a person. Think about this for a second, because his actions are such that I can understand. I see him hang the world in space. I observe him wrapping the newly created ocean in darkness. I know it is he who formed the drops of hail, who determined the number of stars, and calls them each by name. I can, see, can conceive of him as a person because I see his actions. What about Jesus? I can comprehend Jesus, the Son of Man, as a real person. Because he is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. It takes no great stretch of ima my imagination to picture the babe in Bethlehem or to behold the man of sorrows acquainted with grief or the king of martyrs as he was persecuted in Pilate's hall or nailed to the cross for our sins. Nor do I find it difficult at times to realize the person of my Jesus sitting on his throne in heaven or clothed with clouds and wearing the crown of all creation, calling the earth to judgment and summoning us to hear our final sentence. He closes with this, but when I come to deal with the Holy Spirit, his actions are so mysterious, his activities are so secret, his works are so removed from everything that is familiar to our mind and body that I cannot easily grasp the idea of him being a person, but he is a person. God the Holy Spirit is not an influence, not an emanation, not a stream of something flowing from the Father, but he is as much an actual person as God the Son or God the Father. Spurgeon knows what he's talking about, to say the least. He leads us to affirm him this way. He is a person, but let's affirm this. He is a person, but not just any person. He is the third person of the Trinity. He's a person. He's not a force of energy, but the Holy Spirit who thinks, wills, and feels. He is beyond any kind of person. He is the third person of the Trinity. He is God. Now, the Trinity is the biblical understanding of who God is. We covered this a few weeks ago. You can check out the podcast to get more on that. Simply stated, to say the least, simply stated, here's the Trinity. Don't believe anybody who says that. But the Trinity uh, affirms this, that there is one God who eternally exists as three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So when it comes to the identity of the Spirit, we believe that he is God the Spirit. He is a person who is not just a force and a personal nature, but he is a divine person, God himself. This speaks to his divinity, the divinity of the Spirit. And the reason why we would come to this conclusion about the Spirit, I think there's a few ways. I think... Um, the first uh, more interesting one is Jesus here. I want you to notice this in verse 16 when he says, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper. The word another there is, is intentional. Jesus uses it on purpose. There's another Greek word, another Greek word he could have used for another. And it's a word that means the same but different. And then there's the word that Jesus uses here, another helper, and it means of the same kind or quality. So let me give you an example. Um, my phone is, um, it's got like a couple weeks left to live. Um, just pray for it if you can. Um, it looks like there's a Demogorgon coming out of the front of it. It's getting pretty bad. It's starting to transform into the upside down. And it's, it's slowly but surely, the more that my kids touch it, the less it looks like a phone. Um, the LCD is starting to break. And um, say you come up to me and say, Andrew, don't worry, your iPhone, I got another one. 
And I go, that's, that's what I've been praying for. And you, um, by the way, I'm not trying to get a free phone. I have a backup at home, so don't bring me a phone. That's not, I'm, not, I'm not doing that for that. But, uh, and you bring me a flip phone. Here, it's a Razor, Motorola. There was a time where that was cutting edge, all right? They named it Razor, too. You get it? All right. Um, cutting edge. All right. Um, I would say, thanks. That's another phone. But it's not of the same kind or quality, okay? Jesus here, when he says, I'm bringing you the Holy Spirit, he says it's of the same kind or quality. It's as if it's me. I even love the way he says at the end, I will come to you. Did you notice that? I'm sending the Spirit. You know what he's saying? I'm coming to you through the Spirit. Look at the beautiful connection there. Now it's more than that. In Scripture, I want you to know this too, the Holy Spirit receives divine credit and characteristics. This is why we know he is God the Holy Spirit. In scripture, he is given divine credit and characteristics. By divine credit, I mean that he is given credit for things that only God should re- receive credit for. Like this is part of the way we know Jesus is, the Holy, is, is God himself. Because Jesus would do things like forgive sin, and people would go, only God can do that. And Jesus would go, mm-hmm, All right? And the Holy Spirit, in the same way, he, he accomplishes things and he is credited for things that only God the Father can, be, can receive credit for. Acts 5, when Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit, Peter says, you've lied to God. Romans 6.11 says that the Holy Spirit resurrected Jesus from the grave. Which is interesting because Galatians says it was God the Father. Jesus in John says, no one takes my life from me, I lay it down and I'm going to what? I'm going to raise it back up. So the question becomes, who resurrected Jesus? God the Father, God the Son, or God the Spirit? Answer? Yes. We're learning. Acts 20, 28, or 28, verse 25, is where uh, Paul says that when Isaiah spoke inspired by God, God spoke through him, he was speaking by the Spirit. So crediting the Spirit for things credited to God. And then characteristics. 1 Corinthians 2 says that the Holy Spirit is omniscient. He knows all only one person in the room and in the world who knows all and that is not your father okay he right now he's like i know it's it's god right it's god he's omnipresent psalm 139 where can i go from your spirit hebrews 9 tells us that he is eternal he is the eternal spirit and i mean come on do you have to go any farther than his name he is what the holy spirit for god alone is holy I, i think this is so important and here's why R.A. Torrey says this, he says, if we think of the Holy Spirit as an impersonal power or influence, then our thought will constantly be, how can I get a hold of and use the Holy Spirit? But if we think of him in the biblical way as a divine person, infinitely wise, infinitely holy, infinitely tender, then our thought will constantly be, how can the Holy Spirit get a hold of and use me? This is much of what's wrong with pneumatology today. Because we don't understand who the Spirit is, we seek to manipulate him. We make him subservient to our purposes. We invite him in the room to do what we want him to do as though we were here to give him the orders and he were here for us. You don't have this in the book of Acts. You don't have people going, how can we use the Holy Spirit? You have people going, how can we give all of us to what he wants to do? Imagine if you woke up and started your day that way with an understanding of the Holy Spirit that's so personal, that's so divine that you said, Holy Spirit, Take my life and use it. God will use your life. I'm telling you, that's a dangerous prayer. Get ready. Get ready for what comes into your life that day. Get ready for who cuts you off. 
right? Because we won't recognize that as the Holy Spirit, but he's there, okay? Let's wrap up here. The Holy Spirit, as the third person of the Trinity, is also the primary agent of God's work in the world. Now, this is connected to who he is because so much about who he is is what he wants to do, not who we think he is and want him to do. Holy Spirit, make me feel this way. Holy Spirit, make me look. No, no. What, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do? And let me surrender to you because you're God. What does he do? Well, we need to establish this idea. The ministry of the Spirit is the idea that he is the primary agent of God's work in the world. What this means is this, understand it this way, that wherever God is working, listen closely, he is doing it and doing so by his spirit. The Holy Spirit is on every scene, on every page of God's work in scripture. Even at the beginning of time, right? We know Genesis 1-1, the most famous. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And there he is, and the Holy Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Uh, we got to get familiar with language like saying, man, that was an incredible move of the Holy Spirit. You know, today I was studying my, my Bible and I was praying, and, you know, the Holy Spirit spoke this to me. Or, you know, that sermon or that worship experience or, you know, this lady that walked by me at work. When we talk about the work of God, the way the Bible talks about the work of God is centered on the person of the Holy Spirit. Um, he, he's creating. We see him even, um, Job tells us he creates man. The Holy Spirit's there creating man. Uh, Jesus, when he was immaculately conceived in his mother's womb, who was there? The Holy Spirit. As Jesus, as the babies left, right? The Holy Spirit was there. God works by his spirit. I think we should give the Holy Spirit more credit than we often do. I don't think we actually realize how much the Holy Spirit works in our lives. I think if we began to notice him and think about him a little bit more, we'd start to be a little bit more biblical with how we talk about God's work. Uh, he does a lot of things, and for the sake of time, I cannot do a whole Bible study on it because um, we're not in heaven yet, and there's, you know, there's space and time. So, um, I'll tell you, uh, I'll give you a snapshot. Uh, here are some other things that the Bible says the Holy Spirit does. He's involved in inspiration. Uh, th this is how we believe. We're going to talk about this next week. Um, what is the Bible? That's going to be next week. And what makes the Bible the Bible? Is it God's word? How do I know? That kind of stuff. Um, and the Bible teaches that um, in Second Peter 1 that the Bible has come about because the Holy Spirit moved moved holy men of God in time past to speak it, to write it. He's involved certainly in salvation. This is his work. This is what God does. God is a savior. This is the good news of the gospel. We are lost. We are dead. God seeks and God finds. And he does so by his spirit in so many ways. In John 16, Jesus says it's the spirit who convicts us of sin. What a load off your back um, from trying to lead people. You know, we have a heart. We love Jesus so much. We want people to know and love Jesus, but we don't we are not the convictors. What we end up doing is we end up abusing people, beating them over the head with the Bible and trying to manipulate them into a relationship with God. You can't manipulate someone into love. You have to fall into it. And it's the spirit that does that. He's the one that goes before us. He, 1 Corinthians 12 says he opens our eyes to Jesus, convicts us of our sin, opens our eyes to Jesus. No one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the spirit. Titus chapter three, which is the Titus book in the Bible. Titus chapter three says... That that's a youth group joke. It says, he regenerates us. He's the one who makes us new. He washes us. I love Ephesians 4.30. This is a great thing with salvation. He seals us. He convicts us, leads us to Jesus, makes us new, leads us to trust in Jesus. And then the Bible says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. 
man, that's a, I'm glad that there's an unbreakable seal of the Spirit on my life. Because I don't know about you, but I tend to break things. Anybody else? Good news for you. You're going to get to heaven one day, not because you made it, because the Spirit sealed you. I just, I think that deserved a hand clap. I'm just going to be honest. I mean, it's okay. You know, I mean, look. Just trying to lead you guys in the Spirit here, you know. I'll take an Amen. Um, he also affirms us in salvation. Romans 8 says that he's the one that bears witness with our spirit, that we are children of God. So he's involved in salvation from start to finish. He's also involved in revelation. Uh, Jesus goes on in John 14 to say that he's the one who's our teacher. He teaches us, and he even reminds us of all truth. You've got to check out 1 Corinthians 2, uh, one of the most misquoted out-of-context verses in the whole Bible, which says, I has not seen nor ear has heard what has entered into the heart of man. I hear that all the time. You know, usually for young single girls who are waiting for their husband, you know. Like, I has not seen, nor ear hath heard what God has prepared for those who love. You know, and, and listen, which, by the way, I pray that. That's a good prayer. But Paul goes on to say, ready? But God has revealed them to us by his spirit. Isn't that cool? I has not seen. Yes, yeah, it has, by the spirit. Ear hasn't heard. No, it's heard, the spirit, Okay. Paul's like, no, no, there's more to the story. There's more to the verse. It's the spirit that teaches us the things of God, uh, not just revelation, not just salvation, not just inspiration. This is a huge one, transformation. 2 Corinthians 3.19, it says that we are all being transformed. God is changing our lives only by the spirit of the Lord. A reminder for you today, you don't sanctify yourself. The spirit does. You follow Jesus. The spirit is the one who does the transforming. And also, I think a reminder to say that this is God's priority with His Spirit in our lives. Galatians 5 says it's to produce fruit in our lives. It's been said that when it comes to being filled with the Spirit, it's not about how high you can jump, it's how straight you can walk. They're full of the Spirit! Are they loving? <laughs> Are they patient? Are they self-controlled? No, but gifted limited certainly uh, how about navigation anybody need some navigation in life god i don't know what to do where do i go what do i step help me i would encourage you to step deeper into a relationship with the holy spirit all throughout acts jesus was led by the spirit jesus says the spirit will guide you into all truth and acts i love this acts eight twenty nine. then the spirit said to philip Go overtake that chariot. Okay, I w wouldn't that be a great way to get your instructions from God? I'm still figuring that one out. I'm just going to be honest. And then the Spirit said to Andrew, you know, go get that burrito bowl, all right? Um, he also, we see him separating, anointing, and sending. Acts 13, 2, the Holy Spirit said, separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I have called him. He navigates. He leads his people. He's a good shepherd. And he leads his sheep by his Spirit. I want to say this, that I am a... I, I am 100% sure that we were supposed to plant this church. Can I tell you why? Because the Holy Spirit told us to. I could, thanks, Shay. Thank you, yeah. Yeah, I, I could show you my journal. <laughs> I could show you the way that the Holy Spirit set us apart and said, you're called to go do this. But I don't understand, I don't know how, if the Spirit calls you, listen, where God guides, he provides. Don't worry. Don't worry. He's not worried. Why are you? We see him even, I love in Acts 16, like I said, forbidding. So he navigates. What about activation? This is a huge one. Activation. Um, this is where Jesus goes on to the disciples, and, he, and when he baptizes them in his spirit, he says, you've got to wait 
My spirit's going to come upon you, and you're going to receive power to be my witnesses. A lot of us have dormant spiritual lives because we've never been activated in the spirit. And so we live in this place of wanting to be effective in ministry. What is the missing link for you to go into your workplace and be an ambassador for God that leads people to Jesus? How do you activate that? He activates it. It's the power of the Spirit. It activates effective ministry. Before I get up here and preach every weekend, before we even sing songs and do worship, there's a group of eight or nine of us every Sunday morning. We circle up and we beg for the Holy Spirit to do what we can't today. Every week. Holy Spirit, activate. Do your thing. Be active. We see this all throughout the Bible, in the old and the new. Even when uh, the, the instructions were given to build the tabernacle, God puts his spirit on the builders and the artisans and the craftsmen. Did you know that? Whatever your craft is, whatever your vocation is, whatever art you're in, whatever business you're in, did you know that that's glorious to God, that he wants to baptize you in his spirit, empower you with his spirit to do whatever it is he's called you to? Um, and I also want to say this when it comes to activation. What about obedience? You ever read Romans 7? Paul says, you know, this is where a lot of us get stuck. What I will to do, I never do. This, this dilemma of Romans 7. In fact, the things I hate to do, I always do. You ever been there? You ever been stuck in the cycle of doing what you hate and not doing what you love? And, and Paul goes on to say, who's going to deliver me this wretched man, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? Paul goes, I found a law as true as, ga- as gravity. This force in my nature that has me sinning all the time. Every time I try to jump towards God, I am pulled back by this sin nature. Now, I, I've heard a lot of Christians quote Romans 7. Just be like, you know, man, I'm just a you know, Romans 7 life, you know. <laughs> and struggle is real. And I usually say, well, have you read chapter 8? where the first thing Paul says is the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. Do you know how you can be victorious over the sin in your life? Not by white-knuckle discipline. Not by white-knuckling it. You'll sprint, you'll, you'll do good for a time, but you're dependent on your own strength if you're doing it that way. You've got to depend on the Holy Spirit. You've got to lean into him. He is the power of God that Philippians 2 said, God works in you, check this out, Philippians 2, 16, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Most of us only know the will part. The spirit made me want to do it, right? But did you know that there's power from God's spirit that can be activated in your life to do, even do the very things that you desire to do? Only by the spirit. And in the end, he gets the glory. We don't go, look how beautiful and sinless we are. No, you didn't do it. You, you crawled to the finish line, right? It's the, it's the age-old uh, parody of uh, the footprints in the sand poem when really it should be butt prints in the sand because the whole time he was just dragging me along. Okay. Sorry, I said the word butt at church. My bad. Lastly, manifestation. Manifestation. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about this. Um, I'll just kind of go on the record to say that um, I believe in the continuation of the supernatural gifts of the Spirit alive and well in the church today. Um, I want to remind you that the the church is not limited to the expression of the American church. If you want to know what God is up to in the world, you probably shouldn't just look at the American church. If you look all across the world, you see a God who is alive and well, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I am not a cessationist, I don't, meaning I don't believe that the gifts of the Spirit ceased because the Bible doesn't tell me that they do. I get why people get there, 
Um, why don't you believe the gifts of the Spirit cease? Which, by the way, gifts of the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12, talks about the manifestations of the Spirit and their supernatural giftings that God gives for the profit of all. Uh, power to supernaturally know things. Power to supernaturally do things. Power to even supernaturally say things. And the people say, you know, like, why don't you, you know, what, like, for me, the reason why I believe that the gifts of the Spirit have continued is be- because everything that Jesus has instituted has continued. Eternal life has continued, hasn't it? I hope so. Anything else sees that I don't know about? That'll be sad. No, I believe he is alive and well. And we'll close out with this right on time at 12 p.m. We'll close out with the promised gift of God poured out on all of his children. Um, and this lastly speaks to the availability of his spirit. And I just want to end with this encouragement and charge to us. Uh, we won't be able to so much t- take time here to respond today, but I do want to just deposit this into your heart and challenge you as you go out into your week. As Jesus closes this out, he says that, listen, as the Spirit comes, listen to this, as a Christian, you're going to have a whole new relationship with him. He's with you, but he's going to be in you. This is game-changing. This is mind-bending, okay? This is reality-shifting, what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is, by the way, what he's doing here, by alluding to this, is he is initiating, let me say this, he is initiating a whole new covenant. In the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, the availability of the Spirit was limited to certain people and given with a limited measure. It was never in someone. We see, we see the Holy Spirit come upon David and at one point depart from Saul. It's why David in Psalm 51 prayed, Lord, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Limited. And limited also in certain people. Certain people, not all the people would receive the Spirit. Certain people with a certain limited measure. There was always this hope of God's promise in Joel that there would come a time where he would pour out his Spirit on all flesh. And then Jesus comes along and he begins to drop these little ideas about a relationship with God, the Holy Spirit. I love Luke, right? He says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to who? Any special people here? Those who ask him. You see Jesus broadening the availability of, who, of who's able to be uh, receive the Holy Spirit. And then he says in John 3, I love this, for he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God does not give the Spirit by measure. And everyone listening to that going, is going, yeah, he does. Jesus, have you read the Torah? In fact, that's exactly how God gives the Spirit. Jesus is dropping these clues that, listen to this, it culminates in a moment in John 7 where Jesus stands up in in front of a silent crowd of thousands at the last day of this feast and he cries out and says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Notice this, but this he spoke concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive, for the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. This is what Jesus came to initiate. This thirst for God. God, I don't want some of you. I don't want you only when I'm good. You know, I I can only get you on my good days. I want all of you forever. This is what God promised. I'm going to pour out my Spirit without measure to all who ask me. And Jesus says, I'm the initiator that brings that. 
there's a sense in which Jesus is the well from which we draw the water of the Spirit. Are you thirsty? Is your spiritual life dry? You come to Jesus to receive the Spirit. There's this story in Acts where, where this man, he sees these Christians and they're operating in the power of the Spirit. And he comes along and says, how much, I want to buy that power. How do I get that power? How do I get, how many of us are like that with God and the Spirit? God, how do I purchase your Spirit? How do I be good enough to be loved by you, God? How do I be good enough to be used by you? How, what, what kind of right things do I need to do to have your favor, to have your blessing? And Paul rebukes the man. He says, what, this is not something that could be bought with silver or gold because it's the power of the Spirit that was purchased by the blood of Jesus. He went to the cross. And on the cross, listen, he who lived a perfect spirit-filled life went to the cross and became like you and me, those who live flesh-filled lives. And it was on the cross that he became like us. He became sin on our behalf so that we could become the righteousness of God in him, so that we could become spirit-filled in him. See, in the new covenant, the spirit is not limited to certain people with a certain measure, but in the new covenant... The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for by one spirit, we're all baptized into one body. And this is what you see in the book of Acts. Um, You see in the book of Acts, the initiation of this. The author of the book of Acts is Luke. And his primary objective in Acts was to show the universality of the gospel. That the favor of God is not just limited to to obedient, behaving Jews. As the disciples came to Jesus and said, Jesus, how's it going? Um, Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And they had this very limited, nationalistic, we can do this as Americans too, this nationalistic America first, you know, Israel first, Israel only, these kinds of people. And Jesus says, no, that's not how you're to think about this. Here's what's going to happen. Instead, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the end of the earth. This thing that I'm doing It's so significant that it's not going to stay in Jerusalem. It's going to be so magnanimous. It's going to explode so exponentially that there are going to be Christians in Boca Raton in 2019. In a church called Soulless Church, who though they are broken, though they are flawed, God has purchased their lives to him through his son and he has filled them with his spirit. That's what God wants for your life. That's his promise. And you see it all throughout the book of Acts. You see, and I love the way the the book of Acts chronicles it, because there are these time delays in Acts um, between people's conversions and them being baptized in the Spirit. And there's four specific people, and all four of those people are the people that everyone debated about whether or not they were in. And God's like, they are so in that I'm even going to delay when they get baptized for you to get it. I want you to see it. So he sends the apostles to baptize, and the, uh, the Samaritans are baptized. And then uh, Jerusalem, J. Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. Now, a lot of people interpret that to say that there are kind of like two categories of Christians today. Those who are baptized in the Spirit and those who aren't. I used to believe this. I used to actually teach this. Um, and I want to just say that th- that is not what the book of Acts is teaching. Um, we just saw this verse that says we've all been baptized into one body. The point of Acts is that there are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. There's nobody, listen, if you are in Christ, there's nobody in this room who has, you know, like achieved the Spirit but hasn't received and gained the Spirit. Here's what I actually believe. I believe the gospel is true, which means that through the cross of Jesus, I've received not some things, and then over time, maybe he'll give me a little bit more of him. 
The message of the gospel is that God gives us all of himself. And he calls for the same in return. And he pours out his spirit. So, no, so the call of scripture is then this. It's be filled with the spirit. This is where I send us out today. This is where I want to pray for us. I'm not even going to invite the band up. Check that out, okay? I'm just going to send us out with this encouragement. Wherever you go this week, will you, will you set your heart, set your mind with me because of Jesus to be filled with the Spirit. Thanks again for tuning in. We pray that you were blessed by today's message. If you'd like to visit us in person, we gather at Don Estridge High Tech Middle School in Boca Raton, Florida, every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more sermon content and information, you can check out soulschurch.com.